developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Friends, this is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is my dear friend, Susie Goodwin. Susie's truly an amazing person, as you'll quickly see her power, passion, and influencing abilities. Today, we're going to talk about how she supports parents whose kids have special needs. It's her passion and heart's desire to share what she's learned with other parents who find themselves concerned about their children's future. But let me give you a little background here on Susie and you'll see why she's so passionate. Susie supports parents who have children with high needs like autism, ADHD, OCD, ODD, sensory integration, and undiagnosed behavioral challenges. She helps them to create a practical plan Parents then can experience being valued, seen, heard, and supported while navigating the parenting journey. The end result is empowered parents who move out of isolation and into connection with their children. Parents get to stop just putting out the fires and now start making happy memories as they become the parents they've always wanted to be. Susie's background is in early education and elementary education. And although being a teacher has helped her tremendously along the way, what really makes her uniquely qualified to coach parents comes courtesy of dealing with her own children who carried a diagnosis of autism, Tourette syndrome, OCD, sensory integration, ADHD, and mood disorder. And that's a lot of acronyms, but you understand those are kiddos that uh, are struggling in life and therefore as parents really present a challenge. And Susie just doesn't want parents to struggle the way she did and to experience the gut-wrenching feeling of not being a good enough parent for their children because that's devastating. Good news is her kids are now in their 20s and out creating the lives they've always wanted for themselves. And now she's a coach for parents and she's coached them for years and officially opened her business called Miracles in Parenting in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. So Susie, it is just such a pleasure to have you to Vision Beyond Sight. Welcome. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you very much. You are welcome. And I'm going to let you start by sharing your own personal story about your family and kids and, you know, what really got you to being a parent, Uh, a parent that now has become a coach. Sure. Well, my son was diagnosed with autism when he was four years, 10 months old. 
Um, up until that point, I was a mom in denial and just chalked my son's behavior and energy level up to being all boy, which, um, which as a first time parent, I can't, looking back, hindsight being 2020, um, it doesn't surprise me. And I could possibly, uh, I could see myself possibly going down that path again. Um, but what I learned along the way is after um, I had him evaluated um, was that he had a lot of things that were keeping him from being able to be successful in the things that in term developmentally and then also in social interactions and in our relationship too. And the lack of success in our relationship specifically was because um, as a former teacher and as a mom, and going in for his well visits, I had these expectations about where he needed to be developmentally um, and socially. And he just wasn't hitting those, um, those benchmarks. And so um, for years, well, for about, let me just back up for when the, his diagnosis first came down, first he was diagnosed with sensory integration disorder, and then he, we received the diagnosis of autism. And um, I just remember sitting there and, ha and when that diagnosis, when we received that diagnosis, and I, I just felt like I had been punched in the gut because number one, I wasn't expecting it. And number two, his future didn't feel so shiny and bright to me. So in the process of trying to help him, and you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes here, fix the problem. Um, we were chasing every therapy. We had him on medication. We tried the diets. We tried everything that they told us to do. And mind you, this was over 20 years ago. So. Right. So the resources that were in place and that were available to me back then were far less than what's available now. Um, I realized if I, at one point, you know, if I could I stop you for just a second, and that's really important. You talked about it was over 20 years ago. I mean, what support did you have? I mean, there's therapists and there's doctors, but the stigma was, of course, a problem. And what what kind of support did you and your family have at that time? Well, it's interesting because, uh, um, you know, in terms of my family, my husband decided this wasn't what he signed on for. And I became a single mom to wow. two young children. And my, and my family didn't know how to support me. Um, and so I, I was from a family standpoint, I had these expectations about what support would look like and should look like, and that's not what it looked like or should. <laughs> I can imagine. That didn't meet my expectations either. For sure. Um, so, so I was left feeling isolated. What I learned along the way was that building my support system, I just needed to have some key people in my life. One was a pedi pediatrician, uh, and he listened to us. He was amazing and helped us to navigate this journey um, and he believed me and trusted me as a mom that was so important um, another 
person in my support system was um, my best friend, Margaret, and I was able to call her and have conversations with her. And then I found some friends from high school, actually, who were struggling with, um, with their children's own diagnoses of autism and ADHD. And so we were able to, we were able to chat and, um, and support one another from time to time. I did search for support groups. And what I uh-huh. found with support groups was that I uh, left feeling worse than I did when I went in because it was more of a, my experience of it was it was a great session. I didn't leave with any action plans to take or ni- any new ideas. It was just kind of a boohoo kind of time. Sure. <laughs> I had enough of those. I didn't need that. You didn't need any more of that, sure. So continue on your story. You received the diagnosis, and you're here. You're supposed to be supportive of your kid, and you know, you're looking for your own sport as well. So continue on. Sure. Um, uh, so when Zach received the diagnosis, I it just left me kind of in shock. So we we pursued every um, therapy, every medication, every um, every diet that they suggested. And I just remember one day we were at a park and my son being on the medication that they suggested, um, was, um, he started hallucinating and I had to get him, my son was a bolter and now they call it eloping. And so what that meant was that he could run out into traffic he, he was in a place of fight or flight and he was actually fleeing. And, and so no thinking was going on. And what would happen is, is that I would have to, I would have to outrun him and chase him down. And then to hold him, I'd have to lay on him with almost my full body weight because that adrenaline rush that he was feeling um, gave him some almost superhuman like strength. And so it wasn't until he could calm that, um, that I could actually reason with him. Um, and I returned those, the autism community calls the, those kinds of incidences meltdowns when, when there's upset and crying and it looks a lot like a temper tantrum. I realized I needed to bring empathy to that situation and not make him wrong. So for myself, I returned, there is no such thing, but I returned that behavioral seizure because um, when I did that, I could approach him from a place of learning how to stabilize him and then deal with um, putting strategies and or consequences in place uh, after the fact. But just like a, someone who is having a heart attack, you wouldn't stand over them in the moment and say, you know, we really should discuss your lifestyle. What are you eating and how often are you exercising? <laughs> You don't do that with someone who's having a heart attack. Good analogy, Um, right. Yeah. So I just felt um, it helped me to meet him where he was when I was able to put some terms in place that helped me look through a different lens. The other thing that I realized, Lynn, was that I was busy chasing the diagnosis, as I mentioned before. And when I stopped to really think about it after that day in the park, uh, when we got home that night and I was sitting on my couch after the kids were in bed and I thought, you know what, 
I am so tired of chasing a diagnosis that I've been told over and over again isn't going to change. That, um, and what my biggest desire is, is to be in relationship with my son. I am not the parent that I dreamed of being. And finding a place to meet him where he was and get into relationship, that's when the miracle started to happen. So instead of... Ever that, like Susie. Yeah. You know, how did you discover where, because if, you know, we've all been around kids that are throwing temper tantrums and meltdowns. And if it's in a store, you see parents are, parents are often very uncomfortable. You know, they either yell at the kid or hit the kid or grab the kid. And everybody around it's like, you know, like, oh my gosh. And so there was always an embarrassment, an um, unknown of what to do. Um, and a feeling of judgment. You talk about expectations, feeling of being judged. So how did you discover the miracles of what you needed to do to meet him where he, where he was? Well, one thing that I did what, in terms of being out in public and those embarrassing moments is that I would prep myself before I'd go into a place, a public place, like a grocery store. And I would pull down my visor and look in the mirror and say, you are not going to the grocery store to make long-lasting relationships with the people here. <laughs> That's not your purpose today. So anything that, so you can let it roll off your back. Just let it roll off your back. It was hard to, it's hard to do in the moment, but Lynn, um, it did help me to get me in the right mindset when I went in. I think that's a really important point. Thank you for bringing that up because it is about mm -hmm. starting with a mindset and and you never can be prepared. But when you create your day and you're starting that way, you have a much better chance of seeing through that lens or living through that intention like you've created. That's a really important point. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and then the other place that I did to meet him where he was was I just started to play with him more. I sat, I, we had a, um, a support beam in our house um, that was mirrored from ceiling to floor from the 70s. <laughs> the old mirrors were still on that, that support beam. And as babies, my children loved that and would crawl around and look at the baby. And then they'd stand up and see the toddler and, you know, they'd lick the mirror and talk to themselves and they just loved it. So I sat, um, so I sat my son down on one side of that mirrored pole or that mirrored beam and I sat opposite of him and I started having him um, match my face. So I would say, make your eyebrows look like mine, make your eyes look like mine, make your cheeks look like mine, match your mouth to mine and then come out from behind the mirror and he'd pop his head out and I'd say, that's called happy. And then we would, and then I'd make a grimace face and an angry face. And I'd say, that's called angry. Make a singer face. And that's called sad. And he would, and he loved doing that. Um, I didn't know at the time if I didn't set out to make something work. I had no idea what I was doing. I just was playing with him. Mm -hmm. And And then after he got all of the emotional faces down, I would ask him to take a look inside his body. When you have a happy face on, how fast is your heart beating? Do you feel, do you have a lot of energy? Do you want to jump up and down? Do you, what your voice level do you want to use? And so we would go through and he started to make 
um, he started to discover that his body couldn't, he could make his body actually match the expression on his face and get more in tune with that. And then about a year and a half later. <laughs> about how old is he right now? That you're, what's his age, uh, you know, when you're doing this kind of work with him or playing? Oh, when with... he was doing that? Yeah. yeah he was seven. Okay, he was great. Seven. So when so I, so a year and a half later he was seven. So I'll just say that um, you know I entered into play with him about five and a half when he was about five and a half and started just um, playing with him in some of the areas that you know that were that he struggled with. I don't want to say weakness or lacking, and his brain just wasn't wired that way. Um, um, he just didn't come packaged that way. That's that's what you know had happened for him. So um, about a year and a half later, when he was in a seven, we were driving down the highway, and someone cut me off. And I will just say, having a kiddo who was diagnosed with OCD, I learned the hard way um, to not swear <laughs> because I hear it <laughs> over and over and over again multiple times. <laughs> and <laughs> I never knew when it was going to go away, and so I learned the hard way to to just zip it and keep my mouth shut when I was upset in the car. And Zach was sitting in his little booster seat behind me, and all he could see were my eyes in the rearview mirror. And he and I hear this little voice after someone had cut me off. Um, I hear this little voice in the back seat say, "Oh, Mama, you're not happy. You're angry." And Lynn, I just, it was a moment where um, that was the first time he'd come out of himself and seen what I was feeling. Boy, that touches my heart and gives me chills that, you know, he now is seeing emotion and feeling emotion and expressing emotion of you. Yeah, it was really touching. And still, here it is you know, 20, you know, almost 20 years later, and I just, um, I'm sitting here teary-eyed myself thinking about that moment, because when that happened, well, first I pulled the car over because I was crying. Um, It touched me so deeply. And then second, once I had that connection and that relationship with him, then we could, then he could learn from me. Then right. that's when that's where the miracles happened. You know, then then he could learn from me, and I figured out how to meet him where he was, and it was through play, and it was through changing my measuring stick. My measuring stick was no longer um, what the kids in his classroom were doing, or what the doctor said, you know, where his pediatrician said he needed to be, or um, what the experience other parents had in the grocery store. My measuring stick was um, how I felt I was doing as a parent. If I could look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, tough day, but nicely done showing up. Good job showing up. Um, And then the other measuring stick was, you know, how connected um, my son and I were with one another. That's beautiful. I felt like we could interact. That became my measuring stick. So during this time, Susie, was he at school or did you end up homeschooling him? 
I did not homeschool him, but when 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 my when Zach was born, he's my oldest. When Zach was born, my husband and I decided uh, that I would be a stay-at-home mom, and we made that decision. I was a I was a um, an assistant youth director at our church, um, and when and Zach was three months old when the Columbine High School incident happened, and um, we decided in that moment that I would be a stay-at-home mom because mm. no one sets out to raise children that have that are troubled. Um, so that's not any parent's intention, and. I just wanted my husband and I at the time decided it was really important to be fully, fully present with our kids as they were navigating, um, as they were navigating their childhood. So what did the school do? I mean, how did they have an appropriate program for him? Was that a successful venture? So what I, so when we, when we found out Zach was, carried a diagnosis of autism um we had in that evaluation we took that evaluation into the school and that became a legal document saying that he carried autism and had some other needs and it was in that um it was in that that document that qualified him to be on an um, independent um education plan which is an IEP so so the school um, the school provided extra services for him so to level the playing field so he had things like extra test taking time extra time to take tests he had um, speech therapy um, when Zach would talk his it came out like word salad his he'd get the words in the sentence right that he wanted to say but they were not in the right order mm -hmm. um he also went from speaking being able to talk and talk very clearly to um to um having a severe stutter and so he received speech therapy through fifth grade up through fifth grade uh -huh. And the school provided that, and it was because of the evaluation we had done. Schools will provide, this is important for parents to know, the schools will provide an evaluation if they see um, that a child um, might be at risk. But we need to remember as parents that a school is an organization, it's a business, and it is not in their best interest to spend a lot of money on children when they feel like they might be able to tackle it in a typical um, classroom. So Susie, we're gonna take a break here in 15 seconds. And when we come back, we'll continue on your story, especially the school perspective and then move into the coaching as well. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this.
Can your child see, really see, more than 2020? Does your child struggle in school, have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 tips to improve your sports performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, we're on with Susie Goodwin, who's parent and coach for other parents, especially those who have kids with special needs, ADHD, OCD, sensory integration, behavioral issues. And being a parent, we all know, is a challenge anyways. Being a parent when you have a neurotypical kiddo uh, brings up new things we never dreamt of and never had expectations nor knowing of how to solve uh, some of these issues. And, And Susie has been just doing a beautiful explaining of creating miracles with her kids and it's really about meeting them where they're at instead of expecting and grades and right and wrong and and this was done on her own with very little support and um with we want to move on now is to she was just talking about schools and um asking for help how to ask for help what you might get and you know what really worked with her son's especially she started with her son, Zach. So, so Susie, continue the story about, especially schools, about asking what you need and what you might or might not get. Great. Thanks, Lynn. Um, well, I, we, I just want to recap that I had a document, a legal document that 
the his his official evaluation was a legal document that I was able to take into the school that qualified him to receive an IEP, an independent education plan. And and schools will provide that um, schools will provide that if they see that children are at risk, and they'll start to evaluate. Um, they'll start to evaluate kiddos, but it's a very long process, and and crucial developmental time can be lost in waiting that process out. So, um, and it's in the school's best interest to not have to spend extra money on extra services because they are a business. They have a budget they have to operate within. So getting the services and getting the, taking the time to have an evaluation in school, I would highly recommend for parents to have that evaluation done before your child enters into school, which is one of the reasons you hear things like early intervention is best. So that and a very young developing brain um, is why it's so important to get on top of things as soon as you can. And so that's with kiddos that either developmentally aren't where you know you or and or the pediatrician thinks they should be, or kiddos with behavioral problems. Uh, you know, a lot of parents will say, "Well, how early should I do that? You know, should I start with my pediatrician or start with the school system? What would you advise them here?" I would advise starting with a pediatrician. And if your pediatrician, I have heard, I have clients who have said that their pediatrician says that it's too early to get the, to have their children evaluated. So it feels, it, my experience is, is it feels like there are two camps. One is a, one camp is a let's wait it out and see camp. And then the other camp is let's get on top of this and get started. Um, with the interventions as soon as possible. And the problem that I see with the let's wait it out and see camp is that, um, like I said earlier, brain development, that the earlier you can start, you can start implementing those interventions, the better off you are. So if your pediatrician is not on board with an evaluation, that's okay. The next step would be to find an occupational therapist because whether your child carries a diagnosis or not, an occupational therapist can help your child to, to, uh, to put some strategies in place and help you as parents put some strategies in place to deal with some of the behavior that's concerning at home. Right. And, and if I, I could add, set up for success. Mm -hmm. I could add too, you know, if there's motor and movement problems, you might need a PT, physical therapist. Vision should always be evaluated age three, whether or not there are symptoms or problems. Um, so it's really first start with all the physical stuff, rule, you know, the physical health kinds of things out. Hopefully your pediatrician's on board. If not, uh, I kind of have a different recommendation, Susie. I'd say get another pediatrician. Yeah, if not, shop around. I actually fired our first pediatrician and uh -huh. found the pediatrician that was just right for us. Good. So it's okay to fire your uh, professionals in your life. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's a good point. Being a professional, I know it should be. You know, they need yeah. to be 
a team with you. And if they're not, uh, then you need to find your team. And so that's a really important point. Yes. Yes. Great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. And when do you suggest, you know, contacting the school? If they're under five, you know, a lot of people are in private therapies, but uh, when should that early intervention evaluation be requested in the school? Um, in the school, I would say as early as kindergarten. So if you've got a kiddo that's, that seems to, whose behavior seems to be a little bit off, and it's not that you're out seeking a diagnosis. What you're seeking is to get strategies in place for your child. So if to level the playing field. So it's not necessarily about um, chasing down the bad thing. It's more about finding, being on the search for strategies to put in yours and your child's toolbox yeah. uh, to set both to set your, the parents up for success, to set your child up for success, and to set the teachers and the students in the classroom, other students in the classroom up for success. Beautiful. So let's fast forward here with um, your kids, um, you getting them help, beginning with emotions, them in school, kind of just summarize the journey. And here they are now in their 20s, living their life. So go ahead and uh, catch us up on What's happened in those last about 15 years? Sure. So fast forward, I took my son in to have him reevaluated when he was four, or, uh, 15. And when we went in for that evaluation, the person that evaluated him when he was um, an itty bitty evaluated him um, as a teenager. And I, and that was important to me because Having a getting a um, a diagnosis or, or having an evaluation done um, in the world of behavior disorders, which you know would be autism, OCD, ADHD, um, diagnosis is like that. It's not so cut and dry like a blood test is. It's either positive or negative when you get that blood test back. It, so it really you want the same set of eyes on him on your kiddo down the line that you know, for the purest result and purest outcome, you want the same set of eyes on him taking a look at your kiddo later in life, if at all possible. So uh, we were just very lucky and grateful to have the same um, doctor evaluate him later. And when she, after his evaluation, she looked at me and said, how long have you got to discuss his results? And the first place my head went was oh no what now what because he had carried so many diagnoses so when, and you know obviously I cleared my schedule and said as long as we need um, but what I was trying to do was make sure that we had things in place for him post high school going into college so did he did we need to get what support systems did he need to be successful and Zach was diagnosed on the ADOS scale, and on that scale, um, he was, he originally scored a 13, and in order to be considered autistic, you have to score 10 or higher. When we, and we do see children recover from autism by a point or two on that scale when, as they gain, um, as they gain skills and tools and mature um, in life, but my son went from a 13 to a 2. 
So wow. a significant recovery that they had never seen before, uh, that his group of doctors had never seen before. And um, so she asked me what I did. And one of it, the first thing was, was setting the diagnosis aside, understanding the diagnosis, but setting it aside and not letting that define him, not making excuses for his behavior, but to be in relationship with him and hold him accountable every step of the way. That was really important because the world he was living in and would be living in was going to hold him accountable every step of the way. So I needed to prepare him for that world. That's so now, huge. Yeah, that's a yeah. huge step, holding him accountable. Because so often um, with all our kids, we, we, we don't hold them accountable. We don't want them to feel the pain. We don't want them to have the consequences. And and we don't ever allow them to feel their emotions and their their actions. And so it's tough because you, you suffer the behavioral consequences. But what a learning lesson for him. Yes. And Lynn, the thing that I tell parents all the time is that it's hard to do, easy to say, but hard to do as a parent. Our job is not to provide our children a struggle-free life. Our job is to provide our children a path to adulthood. That's our job. Oh, say that again. Our job (laughs) is to, (laughs) go ahead. (laughs) Our job is not to provide our kids a struggle-free life. Our job is to provide our children a path to adulthood. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So what other things, I'm sure your physician was just shocked, you know, in seeing the results. Are there other, any real, I I know it was a, a collaboration of lots of things that you did to help them over time. Were there any, any other particular things you'd want to mention that uh, maybe were a little more miraculous or you knew were so helpful for him along his journey? Yes. Um, such a great question, Lynn, because so much of it was kind of out of the box kind of thinking from, uh, for me. And one of those things was that the, you know, going back to the story of my son when he was hallucinating in the park that day, um, a friend of mine, a very well-intended friend of mine, had gifted us a six-month-old black lab puppy um, when my husband left. Um, and his reasoning, God bless him, was that he didn't want, um, if there wasn't a man in the house, he said he wanted a dog, he wanted to have a dog in the house. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, what he didn't, what he, what he, it, taking on a black lab puppy for anyone who's ever done that, um, it is a time sucker and it is a lot of energy and it requires a lot of your attention and there's a lot of managing of puppy behavior around the children. <laughs> so that was, it was, I felt like I had been gifted another child. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> Yes, but what I what I um, did with our dog and was to I looked at my dog that day. Her name was Penny, and I looked at her and said, "You are going to become a contributing family member." Cool. So I actually pulled my son that night. I had decided, and I did it the wrong way. I would recommend that most that other parents 
um, back their children off the medication they're on. I pulled my son off of all medication that night <clears throat> because I was so concerned about the hallucinations. And so we went through withdrawals together. We shook together. We were up all night together. We cried together. We would sugar together. We did, I mean, we did all of it, you know, all of those withdrawal symptoms that we went through. Took us two to three weeks to go through that. Um, but I, with the help of my brother-in-law, we trained um, Penny to do therapy with him, to provide therapy for him, because most of the medication that he was on was for anxiety issues, hmm. anxiety and focus issues. And so, and so Penny then became um, his outlet and reassurance for anxiety. So she would, one of her commands was snuggle puppy. And she would lay on her side and expose her tummy to Zach. And Zach, um, and Zach would put his head on her tummy and he could hear her heartbeat. He could hear um, her um, breathing. And his breath would, mat would slowly match hers. And the amazing thing about dogs um, that I don't know that a lot of people know is that they'll match their heartbeat to yours. Wow. And so, and so when Zach was able to meet his, to match his breathing to hers and she was able to match her heartbeat to his, he would calm like that just as that, quickly as. That's amazing. I mean, I know a lot of that, but to see what you've done in action, um, it's just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So that I that's a strategy. Yeah, well, it it's um tell us how he is now. What's he doing? What's he up to? And and, and how is he? I mean, just how does he function in this world? Yeah. So my little baby, who is six foot four, <laughs> wow, it's so amazing to see how big our kids get. But my my little baby boy is now a, is now a grown man, and he is he went through three years of college um, when. COVID hit, he realized he wasn't an, on, an online learner. So he shifted gears and he has, um, he has held a full-time job. He moved out of, our, up, out of our house and into an apartment with two roommates and he's supporting himself and, and, you know, can, and has a work ethic that is amazing to me. Um, he shows up every day on time no excuses. Wonder where that came from, huh, Susie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I did my best. <laughs> That's so beautiful. But well, we only have a few minutes uh, left to go, and I want to make sure we, you know, transition into, you know, that ex those experiences with your kids is what's made you invaluable as a coach. Talk about your your brand new business from uh, Miracles and Parenting that you started in 2020. Yeah, um, I have been coaching parents for many years, passing on some of my experience. I opened Miracles in Parenting officially in 2020 um, and decided to reach out and see how I could support parents and if it would be something that parents would want. And sure enough, it is. And um, I help parents to navigate that really tough parenting journey. So when a parent reaches out to me, we um, we meet on Zoom. 
We have a coaching session once a week. And I have, um, until they feel like they're in a place that, um, that they're happy with. And we set out not to fix this kiddo. We set out to support the parent. Children have so many resources available to them now. Parents don't have as many resources available to them. And we don't come programmed to know how to, um, how to, to take on some of these challenging behaviors, how to deal with them, how to get our kiddos set up for success how to provide them with that shiny future that we thought that they, you know, the, the day they were born, the world was, you know, the world was their oyster. Um, we don't necessarily have all the skills and tools to do that. So it's really, really wonderful when a parent realizes that they could use some support themselves. And that's where I come in. I help parents to show up as the parents that they want to be. We try on a parent will share a struggle that they're having and I'll give them a strategy to use. And what they realize is that when they start working on how they are showing up as parents, they elicit change from their children. So when we, when, when as parents, we change our approach, our children will meet us in that place. Yeah, that's our great. Our approach needs to meet, be meeting them where they are. And I help parents to figure out how to do that. And you have a beautiful offer that parents can give you a call. Uh, first call is always free. Uh, you want to just give a little information. We'll have it in our show notes as well as how they can reach you, Susie. Absolutely. Um, I really believe that parents shouldn't be paying for things that they don't need. Uh, that's a that's a um, an, an integrity issue of mine. So. Um, I always welcome a first call and we brainstorm together how effective or ineffective parent coaching will be. And, um, and we're out, we set out to tackle together. If you decide you want to um, have a coaching session, we set out to tackle that together. And I help you by providing a practical plan and get you set up for success. Um, Parents can reach me at my telephone number. You're always welcome to call me. It's 720-301-4022. And my email is miraclesinparenting at gmail.com. I'll respond through there as well. Excellent. Well, we're just about out of time, Susie. And you just touched my heart for what you've done for your kid and who knows how many other kids and parents in the last 30 seconds, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Yeah. One thing very quickly, we didn't touch on sibling support. So I help with that too. We, we tackle the whole family um, at miracles and parenting. We don't just tackle the individual kiddo that's that has um, the struggle. And that's, that's so important. Everyone. So. That it does for their life. Well, Susie, I thank you. I'm so grateful to have you on and, and just love what you do and love you and, and, um, and just really enjoyed our chat together. Thanks so much. Thank you, Lynn. I love you right back. <laughs> okay.
Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.